Well, last week we heard from Bishop Martin Menz, and he did a wonderful job of unpacking for us the first part of Luke chapter 4, and he, he also went ahead and, and, and indulged himself <clears throat> in looking at the second part of chapter 4 to such an extent that I really felt like that, that scripture had been covered, and so I began to really pray through what I was, message I was to bring to you this morning, and the Lord began to bring to my mind uh, how many conversations I have on a regular basis with people, some young, some middle-aged, some older, and over and over again, this, this theme of calling comes up. It seems that we, uh, we wrestle with it even beyond the time in life where we're figuring out what we're going to do with our lives, but that it, 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 it oozes up in our lives over and over again in different ways. Uh, midlife, in the middle of our career, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? What else is God calling me to do? What ministries beyond my vocation has God called me to? And then even as we move into retirement and the, the, the later stages of our life, um, my bishop is so kind. He, he, I said something about being middle-aged, and he said, 52? He says, you're well past middle-aged, Alex. It's like, thank you, bishop. You're, you're so loving and pastoral. But, uh, you know, as we go through life, this issue of calling continually comes forward. Hey, I might live to be 104. I may be halfway. You never know. But uh, it, it comes up over and over again. And so I was drawn back to our, our Old Testament lesson, the, the, the calling of Jeremiah the prophet. And I don't know that I've ever preached on this passage before, although I have definitely taught uh, about Jeremiah and this, this section here, the calling of Jeremiah, but I, I couldn't recall, but as I began to meditate and think about the calling of Jeremiah, I felt as if it was the place to start from, to begin from. Now I know right offhand you're thinking Jeremiah was called to be a prophet of Israel in the Old Testament times. What possibly could we, how could we identify with Jeremiah? Well, just to begin with, notice that Jeremiah doesn't think he's ready to accept the calling. I imagine that as God calls each of us to do different works then throughout our lives, there are many times where we feel inadequate. If you feel inadequate for the things that God is calling you to do, you are in great company with perhaps one of the greatest of all the prophets. Jeremiah was called to prophesy in Israel at the worst possible time. I mean, it's sort of like the, it's the equivalent of the, uh, the wrap-up duties of the backup quarterback in the fourth quarter when your team is never going to come back and win, and they bring in the second string guy just to hand the ball off four times and kneel down or whatever it's going to happen. And, and this is sort of Jeremiah. This is the end of the second, uh, the, the second captivity. The first captivity came with the northern kingdom when they were carried into exile by the Assyrians to be lost basically to history. And now the southern kingdom, Judah, has also been in rebellion and, and idolatry and has moved away from God's law. And God is about to bring Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to carry the, the southern kingdom, the, the kingdom of Judah, which is where we get the word Jew from, into captivity in Babylon. And yet God still calls Jeremiah and he says, I want you to go and I want you to speak this divine, word of divine law to my people to call them back and to remind them of what is at stake. 
Now, when Jeremiah is called, Josiah's king. Josiah was, you remember, he was um, elected king, or not elected king, he was, he was made king uh, by virtue of his father's death at the age of eight. And he becomes a righteous king. And he dis- rediscovers the law, and he has the, the, the astral poles, and he, he, there's all sorts of reform that takes place, and it's a, it's a high watermark in the life of Israel. But Josiah's brothers and sons are not righteous. And as a matter of fact, it will be one of his brothers that will be king after Josiah is killed in battle that will be king while Nebuchadnezzar comes upon uh, Israel and carries them into captivity. There's no guarantee of success in the things that God calls us to do. That is so really very hard for Americans, isn't it? If we do something, we want to be successful at it. And yet, oftentimes, God calls us to be faithful to things, even if we can't see the success in them. So I believe we have a lot to be in, have in common with Jeremiah. So I'd ask you not to put him away as an Old Testament prophet, but to see that, that God wants to speak a word to our calling as we reflect on the calling of Jeremiah. Now, also, I want to just lay aside uh, uh, a fallacy that, uh, that there's a sense in which there's a difference between the calling of people who are called to be prophets and priests and, and, and uh, vocational ministers and those who are called to, to secular work and lay ministry. God does not see two different types of calling. Those are both callings before the eyes of God. Both the calling into the workplace to be his minister, his missionary, if you will, and those that are called to serve in the church in ordained capacities or in prophetic capacities or whatever it may be. The the Lord does not want us to to falsely divide those calls. God calls us, calls each of us. And that's really the place to begin as we look, if you will, turn over to Jeremiah 1. If you've got it there in the the pew Bible in front of you, uh, it's on 627. I want to just walk through this with you for a couple of minutes. Now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah says in verse 4. And here's what the word was. I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Notice that the first thing that Jeremiah says God says to him is uh, a reminder that it is God who has made him, who has formed him, who knows him, who's called him by name. And yes, he's going to give him a purpose in the next line, but, but the first thing he says is, I know you, even before you were conceived, I know you, and I appointed you, I consecrated you, I set you apart for a purpose. I'm reading a book by Oz Guinness, who incidentally is coming to Gainesville at the end of the month, so this is a little bit of a, a plug for that. Um, but Oz Guinness has written a book. Oz is a, uh, a British author, Christian writer, lives in the United States now. He wrote this book called The Call, and it's been really helpful to me as I thought about this this week and, and considered um, the, the topic of call and calling. And it, maybe there's a point where we'll do it as a Wednesday night study where we'll look at this book, The Call. But Oz makes the the point that without 
a caller, there is no call. Without someone to call to you, Jaquan, you aren't called. Now we're living in a time where um, there's a sense in which we are th- we think as secular people that perhaps we can just create our own calling. That we, it comes from within us, our own sense of calling, and that we we sort of create it for ourselves. But but Oz Guinness makes the point that unless there's a caller, there really is no call. You're just making it up on your own. God calls Jeremiah by name. God calls each of us by name. He knew us before we were conceived. He's consecrated us and set us apart. Before any doing, God has known us and knows us. So there has to be a caller. It's interesting that oftentimes people talk about, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life, what's my calling, what's my ministry, and, and yet there's oftentimes neglect of the beginning, which is to say, well, what about the caller? Are you spending time and energy getting to know the one who's called you so that you may understand his calling on your life? And secondly, after God is the caller, we have to remember that He calls us first to himself, to respond to himself. And again, this is something that that Oz Guinness brings out in the book, The Call. This primary calling is to himself. God calls us to himself, which is why the church in the Greek word is the called out ones. We are those who have been called to the Lord. Yes, he's going to send us out, but he first calls us to himself one of the primary problems can be Oswald Chambers. You remember Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest, very famous book of the 20th century. Uh, Oswald Chambers talks about the fact that sometimes the greatest barrier to serving God is service to God. In other words, we focus on the calls of our lives, the ministries, the vocation God has called us to, rather than first recognizing that first He has called us to Himself. Dieter Bonhoeffer said in this long poem, basically, I don't really know exactly who I am, but I know whose I am. I am thine. Bonhoeffer ends the poem. Um, C.S. Lewis says that, that oftentimes as modern people, we're not really certain about God, but we're very certain about who we are. And Lewis says, but for us who are Christians, it should be quite the opposite. We should be unassured of who we are, but quite certain of who God is. Getting to know the caller, recognizing that primarily and originally he calls us to himself. And so it is with Jeremiah. I formed you in the womb. I knew you before then. Uh, I consecrated you and I have appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Now, we're not all called to be prophets, thank goodness. It'd be a long, tedious service if we were all called to be prophets. But we're all called to something, but that secondary call, that's secondary after being called to God. Now, how does Jeremiah respond? Well, I've already told you, Jeremiah has some concerns about this. 
Maybe because of the, the political situation he's, he's facing. But here's what, how Jeremiah responds. Ah, oh, Lord. Have you ever cried out, ah, oh, Lord. You, you got it wrong, Lord. I know, you know, you think that I'm the person to do this, but ah, uh, ah, oh, Lord. Behold, I do not know how to speak. I am only a youth. Excuses, excuses, excuses. I don't have the ability to do what you're calling me to do. I'm, I'm only a youth. If you're a teenager in this room, you can relate to that. You know, you think, well, I, I can't do that. I, I'm a kid. One time I scared the death out of, out of uh, Noah. My, I turned to him as we were processing in. I said, hey, you're preaching today, right, Noah? You got the sermon. And he, I, I've never seen Noah turn that color. But uh, I said, I'm just kidding you. But, but oftentimes that's the way we, we perceive it, that we're, we're, we're too young, we're too inexperienced, we don't lack the ability to do something. People are equally as likely to say that on the other end. I'm too old, I've, I've done my time. I've, I've served God, you know, faithfully for these 60 years. And now the rest of the years are mine. To just go off into the sunset and watch you young whippersnappers. Isn't it interesting? When we're young, we complain that we're too young. And then when we're old, we complain that we're too old. Well, when's the middle? Well, then I'm too busy doing my work, right? And, and so life goes. Jeremiah complains, much like Moses. Remember Moses? I don't speak so well, Lord. Use somebody else. Our excuses go on and on and on. But as I said at the beginning, remember that the Lord, he's not concerned with our ability. I mean, he wants to equip us, of course. He wants to, to, to use us and he'll teach us as we go. But he, he is looking for our availability. These excuses suggest that it's about being sure of ourselves when, as Lewis said, that's not where to put our hope. We're to put our hope in God who is sure. And I, I think this is probably true when, when it comes to once we've found our vocational calling, and that's wrapped up in here. I mean, uh, what God has called us to do vocationally is a part of God's calling in our life. But I think sometimes when we, when we get to the point in our lives where we become very proficient at what vocationally we do, we become less tolerant for trying things that are outside of our vocation. It's interesting. The more competent, the, the less risk I'm willing to take. But, but Jeremiah is, is called to do this thing that he doesn't understand how he's... He feels like he's ill-equipped. He probably was younger um, but yet God says, I'm calling you. What is, how does God respond? Well, the, the very next verse. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth. For all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord And this is not God telling Jeremiah you're going to necessarily be successful in the thing you're called to. But I'm going to call you and what I, where I send you, you will go. And what you're to say, I will tell you. You'll speak my word. You'll be faithful to me to, to that end. That is, the, that is the call. God, in other words, God says, I'm not, I'm not interested in how, 
ill-equipped you feel you are, you're missing the point. I'm the caller and I've called you to myself and now I'm calling you out and, and where I send you, you will go. And what I will have you say, you will say. Lead the rest to me, sort of, it seems to be to me the unspoken there. And then you notice there's no more response by Jeremiah. Jeremiah doesn't respond again. Well, yes, but Lord, he, he submits to the calling and so I suggest we need to. Then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth. This should remind you of that passage in Isaiah 6 where uh, Isaiah, like Jeremiah, is faced with this, uh, this encounter with the living God and in Jeremiah is, has this passage here, but Isaiah says, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And then remember that, that God instructs the angel to take the coal and to touch Jeremiah, uh, to Isaiah's lips, and he's, we're told he's purified. Well, it's the same, same idea here, that, that God sanctifies Jeremiah in that moment. He, he touches his lip. He, he does something to him to bring healing and forgiveness and he, he makes him ready. God makes him ready for the thing he's called him to. And then God puts his words in Jeremiah's lips. See, God doesn't just, as Martin said last week, I loved it. It's not just love Jesus and try harder, but he gives us his spirit, which is why we, we did the gradual was a, was a song reflecting on the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit empowers us this is this is if you will God touching us with his on the lips and putting his word in our mouth he the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us to accomplish the things he calls us to do you see I'm, I'm convinced that there are many callings on our lives throughout our lives our vocational calling will be a part of that even if you don't see how your job fits the greater purposes of the kingdom of God you see, in that calling to where you are working, there is oftentimes callings to the people that you're working with or the things you're able to do with your money and time and energy apart from that work. And these callings continue on throughout our life. God continually, he's the caller, he calls us to himself, and then he places these callings on our lives and he walks through, and in each place, he sanctifies us, and he puts his word in our mouths, and he says, go to where I tell you to go, and bring the message that I tell you to bring. Behold, the end, God declares to Jeremiah, behold, I've put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and kingdoms. In other words, God says, I've given you authority. I've given you authority. It's me who has called you. And I've called you to this, this work. So go in that strength. I'm resisting an illustration because I, I don't want this to mean, because it's so easy for us to go, well, that's easy for you, Alex, because you're ordained and you have a different type of calling. It's, it's the same calling. It's the same caller. Just different works he's called us to do. But it's so helpful, and just to say, it's so helpful that when you're trying to work out, in my case, the work of a priest and a rector, to know that it is God who's called me to this work. And to have faith that he's going to give me the resources and the ability 
and the faith to live it out. Because I know I've been called. And that's what I'm stressing to each of you. And what does God say? He says, giving you authority to pluck up and break down and destroy and, and overthrow and to build and plant. Oftentimes, the work of God, the building of the kingdom, means we have to do some demolition before we do some new construction. Amen? Did any of you guys see our lovely roof as we walked in this morning? Isn't that a, isn't that a beauty? I, I, I saw Ken Langland, our junior warden, and I, and I said, Ken, I love what you've done with the place. I don't think he got my humor, but, uh, but we have to tear off the old roof before we can put the new roof on. Look on this side of the building, please. Look at the front. Isn't that beautiful, the restored roof? How more attractive is this building going to be once, once that roof's done? But here's the thing I want you to know. Just as God is remaking and building up this building, which means tearing some stuff down and replacing it, so he is building up the body. Do you notice that in the 1 Corinthians passage, I'm not going to talk about that for a, but for a second, but notice in that 1 Corinthians passage where these Corinthian Christians are, are, are so spiritually proud because they speak in tongues and talk about prophecy and all this kind of stuff. But what does Paul keep coming back to? Do what builds up the body. It's about building up the body. It's about doing things in your own individual lives and spiritual lives that will build up the body of Christ. And so I say to you that even in this time where we're seeing this reconstruction, the building, know that he's reconstructing the congregation. Next week is our annual meeting. You're going to hear more about this. But, but I want you to know that, uh, that part of the structure we're putting into place, part of the work that Bob Ayers, our new deacon's doing, is creating a structure so that you can find your callings that you know where your part is to play. Are we weak on evangelism? God's going to call people into that area. Are we weak in discipleship? He'll call people in that area. In worship, in mission, in our youth and children, all those things are about building up the body, and God is in the process. And so it is so essential that we take seriously our callings. First, remembering the caller. Second, the call to himself, which is where everything else flows from. Thirdly, to know that he is empowering us. He will touch our lips, but that he is calling us. He's calling you to some place. He's doing this construction of our building. He's also constructing our congregation so that we might respond and do the things he's calling us to do. And you're a part of that. So buckle up. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.